Welcome once again to the Senior Story Hour, where we share poems, stories, and observations of life, written by the Franklin Senior Center Writers Group. I'm Peter Jay. Join us now as we share and enjoy musings and moments as told by the authors themselves. So, let's meet our writers today. I'm Kathy Salzberg. Bill Wiley. Dennis Grolo. Faith Flaherty. Carol Belcher. Al Larkin. Alice Judge. Joe Ewald. Okay. Well, I think first we have a couple of new members here. Yay, us. And we want to hear about them. We have Dennis and we have Al, so I'll let them tell us a little bit. Good afternoon. I'm Dennis Grolo. I live here in Franklin. Been in Franklin since 1995. I'm a relatively new writer, probably five, six years. Um, enjoy writing memoirs as well as fiction, and today I've brought a work of fiction with me. Excellent. And now Al? Yes, uh, yes. In the, my, sum, my, win, my summer and the winter in Florida for about 10 years, uh, I had a writer's group there, so I got started. I dabbled uh, in the beginning and uh, enjoyed it. And we had someone uh, who leading the group that lit a fire under us. It was very encouraging. And so uh, did a lot of things, uh, poetry, true stories, essays, memoirs, and uh, thoroughly enjoyed it. And it, it helped me to... Uh, recollect uh, all the things that happen in life uh, that uh, people were willing to share. So I enjoyed that. Very good. Welcome aboard, both of you. So, Kathy, who's up first? I think we're going to go with Faith first today. Okay. People have to understand the background of this poem, so to speak, before I read it. G.K. Chesterton once said, Poets have been mysteriously silent on the subject of cheese. Well, I took that as a challenge and decided to write a poem about cheese. One thing you have to know about G.K. Chesterton is he was also called the Prince of Paradox. Okay, here we go. The name of it is Silent No Longer, Say Cheese. Food of substance, O cheese. Your soft feel on my tongue, sharp mile, variety to please. Extra aging gives Limburger aroma. Not so ricotta, cottage, and mozzarella, gouda, feta, america, and gorgonzola. Crackers and beer pair with cheddar. Cabernet Sauvignon will stain your sweater. So Pinot Noir and Brie would be better. Swiss or Italian or French, cow or goat or reindeer or any mammal rapscallion. Nutritious, good, and healthy. Source of protein and calcium tastes delicious in your belly. So here, O Prince of Paradox, a poetic attempt with poor rhyme, no meter, no metaphor, and certainly not orthodox. Very clever. That covers cheese. (laughs) Okay, the next one up would be Joe Ewald. Hi, I'm Joe Ewald, and the name of my story is called Memorial Day. When I look at the calendar and see that Memorial Day is on the horizon, three things automatically form in my mind. My father's birthday, the movie Saving Private Ryan, and the start of the barbecue season. Even though my father never served in the military, he was chosen to guard the supply trains that came and went. The movie Saving Private Ryan showcases the heroism of World War II veterans. Besides Memorial Day being the start of the cookout season, Labor Day being the end, it has a history dating back to the end 
of the Civil War. Memorial Day was originally called Decoration Day. The graves of Civil War soldiers were decorated with flowers and flags by a group of women from Columbus, Mississippi, and another group of women from Bowlesburg, Pennsylvania. They honored all the graves, the North as well as the South. People in other towns copied this idea. This is how Memorial Day began. In 1948, it was made into a national holiday when we remember and honor all the fallen soldiers of all our country's wars. God bless America. And now let's go around this way. We'll go to Bill next. Hi, I'm Bill, and uh, my poem today is about the group ABBA. They, they were a, a group from uh, Sweden, and there's been a couple of movies with their songs, uh, Mamma Mia movies. So a lot of people will know these songs. So here goes. My name is Fernando. I have lots of money, money, money. I hope you'll be my honey, honey. I'm putting out an SOS, if you know what I mean. I want you to be my dancing queen. Please take a chance on me. I love you, can't you see? Love you in the early morn. I want your love to go on and on and on. You make me want to fly with your beautiful angel eyes. Your super trooper is what I want to be. I love you, can't you see? I love you true. I want you. I do, I do, I do, I do, I do. Let's have some tea. Please lay your love on me. Give me a ring ring on the phone. I want you to be my own. Please don't let our love linger. I hope you're not slipping through my fingers. Look at this beautiful moon. You're like an angel passing through my room. I so want to meet you, my beautiful Chiquiquita. You are my desire. I want your kisses of fire. I hope you are the one when all is said and done. I sit and wonder. I hope it's not our last summer. I have a dream. I want you to be in my life, it seems. I had this dream the day before you came. Love is the name of the game. So gimme, gimme, gimme all your love. You bring me to heaven above. Thank you for the music you bring to my heart. I hope you'll never part. So please don't forget to call, because when I'm with you, the winner takes it all. Good afternoon, this is Dennis Grolo. I uh, have been wanting to experiment with writing fiction rather than endless memoirs, so this is one of my first total, total fiction. Please don't call the police. <laughs> Something needs to be done. The following morning, I didn't want to see or talk to anybody, least of all a state trooper, but there he was walking towards my barn. I knew why he was here. He was investigating a horrific train car accident at the crossing just down the road from my farm and auto salvage business. I was the only witness and had spent most of the night at the local police station. The chief said the stateies would most likely follow up given the circumstances of who was killed. Morning, are you Russ Granville? The trooper asked. I am, and I think we've met before. You were here a few years ago when you were restoring an old pickup truck. My dad ran the yard back then. Yes, in fact, I still have the 54 Ford F100 and my son wants it as his first set of wheels. But I'm sure you know why I'm here. I do. Come into my office. I've got a pot of coffee on and I'm going in for cup number two. It was a long night, I said as we shook hands. My father told me that a cop won't shake your hand if he was questioning you as a suspect. Do you feel lucky to be alive this morning? Not really, I replied. I didn't feel like I was in any danger, even though I was right at the crash. It happened just like a movie scene, but the idiot was at fault and paid the price. Can't say there will be many tears shed in town. How did you happen to be right behind Mr. Trask when he was crossing the tracks? Mr. Trask? Nobody called him that when he was alive. You're local, so you know his rep, don't you? 
Most people called him something other than Mr. I arrested him once or twice, and I warned him more than once to keep himself at least 100 yards away from my kids. The world is a better place this morning without him, but it's still my job to investigate an unusual accident involving a train. How did you end up right behind him when he got hit? Last night, we were both at Ted's Tavern having a few cold ones and watching Monday Night Football. We weren't together, of course, but when I was leaving, he asked if I would follow him home because he had been having some trouble with that beat-up Mustang of his. He lived about a mile past my turnoff, and I said I would follow him as far as my road, which I did until we got to the crossing and the lights were flashing. So you stopped, but he tried to make it across? Not the first time I've heard that story. I knew he was testing me. I figured he must have questioned the engineer before he came to my house. No, we both stopped, but he sat there revving his engine and riding his clutch rolling back down the slight grade and then up to the tracks. I guess he was either trying to keep that clunker running or dreaming of his drag racing career that ended when he got caught stealing in the pits. He even rolled back against my wooden push bumper on my truck a couple of times. Such a jerk. There I am trying to help him and he's irritating me like a child would. I know there was just a light and no gate, but why do you think he drove onto the track? I think his foot slipped off the clutch and he shot right in front of the train at the wrong time. He never had a chance. Tough luck, but he was an all-star jerk. We've got a few of his wrecks in the junkyard here. The officer took some notes, looked at me for a moment, and said, I'm surprised that anyone in your family would do business with him. Wasn't there bad blood between your families? Damn right there was. He got my brother hooked on coke and tried to rape my sister back in high school. We don't do business with anyone in his family, but we buy wrecks from insurance companies regardless of who owns the cars. Anything else I can help you with? No, just another wreck at that crossing. There should be a gate there. Thanks for the cup of java. That hit the spot. Glad you weren't hurt. The engineer thought your truck was pretty close to the tracks. No, not really. I was a car length back and just sitting there checking my text messages. Coffee's always on. Stop in anytime. It was a pleasant day, and even though I was tired, I had an order to fill for a Chevy V8 and a Chrysler windshield. I took a walk out into the junkyard. We separate the wrecks and clunkers from theft vehicles. It's easier for potting them out that way. Bad wrecks end up being sold by the pound rather than being broken down into parts. As I walked past the wreck yard with my dog, yes, my junkyard dog, I was imagining the accidents that involved these cars. When I started working here at 14 years old, I figured that somebody must have been killed in all of these wrecks. Now I realize that the best clue is to look at the windshields. You can easily see who was not wearing a seatbelt. Sometimes we get called by the local police to tow a car from the scene, but we also get cars from several towns because of our contracts with insurance companies. But my mind kept drifting back to last night. Even though Trask was a slug of a man, it was a frightening event to witness. Chapter 2, about a month earlier. Somebody has got to do something about that cancer that goes by the name Teddy Trask. He's going to ruin every kid in this town. The voice belonged to a regular here at the tavern, and he was talking to the bartender and most everyone else sitting at the bar watching the Monday night game. Even a pool player turned to see who was talking so loudly. Calm down, Dave. What's going on? The waitress behind the bar asked. I just came by the ball field and that low-life Teddy Trask was sitting in that Mustang talking to a bunch of kids. So I drove over to see who was there, and two of my kids were. And one of them was Russ's younger brother. Hasn't this town had enough trouble from him yet? I told him to stay the hell away from my kids, and he just laughed at me and said, there's nowhere for kids to work around here, so he's just trying to help them out with a chance to make a few bucks. If I had my rifle in the truck, I would swear I would have shot him. Somebody has got to stop him. He's so slick the cops can't make anything stick to him. He kept muttering to himself. Of course, we all agreed with him, but if the whole world knew about his drug dealing and the cops couldn't stop him, what could we do? 
Jill, the waitress, added that it was a wonder that he didn't kill himself the way he drinks and drives. Driving home, I had to stop for the freight train at the crossing just before the road to our property. Sitting on the other side was Trask and his crappy Mustang. It was 11.30, and he was out cruising around looking for trouble. I thought, what if we were both on the same side of the crossing, and I was right behind him? Because the Mustang was a standard, he would be sitting there in neutral, and it would be easy to push him in front of the train. Nobody on the freight train would get hurt, and there would be no witnesses that late at night. It was just a matter of timing. I knew that there was an 11.30 freight train every night. Wouldn't it be nice if some Monday night after watching a game at the tavern, I could time it just right and follow Trask home? Then if we stopped to wait for the train, I could push his car right onto the tracks at just the right moment. I don't think he would feel a thing. Just one quick, help me Jesus thought. Last night, the timing was perfect. Our eyes locked in the mirror and he felt the push. I could read his lips and he wasn't saying thank you. Very, very well written. Thank you. Okay, I think next would be Carol. Hello. The title of my piece today is The Beautiful People. I'm sitting here at the senior center waiting for a lecture to begin, and I'm watching people come into the hall and find a seat. Many people greet old friends and stop and chat. Many smile and say hello to the folks around them. A few just walk in and find a seat. It strikes me how truly beautiful these worn old faces have become. They all wear life's trials and triumphs on their faces. Just study them in a crowd and you will see what I mean. Most folks have many wrinkles. Every wrinkle forms a different pattern, no two alike. Those wrinkles really do give character to the face they rest upon. Sometimes one can read a face. There are serene ones, happy ones, some sad ones, and too many dour ones. It would be nice to see a smile break out on a sad or dour face, wouldn't it? I hope they are not dwelling on their unhappiness or dissatisfaction. If so, may a smile light their faces soon and lift the weight from them. I'm pretty sure they are not aware of how beautiful they are. If you find yourself sitting next to one of these people, try to engage them in light conversation and see if you can coax a smile from them. It's a challenge, I know, but try it, won't you? Very, very nice. So true, huh? And now, Al, you're up. Okay, Al Larkin, uh, I'm writing about life and I don't know where the idea of waiting of uh, writing what life is about uh, or how to summarize I can only do it from uh, a senior's perspective on my own experience in a brief way and I don't usually become spiritual before writing an essay memoir story poetry whatever but I did say a small prayer before this one and the uh, pen just glided across the pages so I had some confidence uh, only because of my experiences so that's life When you live beyond your expectations, you're bound to have a few recollections, like space or time, or where did the years go? From youth to senior, time seemed fast to flow. Full of memories of when we were young, lyrics still there from the songs that were sung. It was just one look onto holding her hand, standing still closer, slow sounds from the band. Hearts pumping faster, with heads in a whirl. Soon came the time to ask, be my girl, she from the gas company, he from the electric. Sparks and flames followed, becoming effective. 
What else could follow, never being apart, but white lace and promises, and giving their heart? No fear of the future, and of little means, they had each other, and many a dream. With a sprinkle of rice, they went down life's road, open to each other, whatever unfolds. Should they have children? Was never asked. Their wedding blessing had seen to the task, and the children kept coming at quite a rate. Before very long, making a family of eight, lovely young faces, a joy to behold, learning life's lessons without being told. They had aunts and uncles, and what's more, children did follow, now cousins galore. Growing up together, they had great affection, onto their own story, in every direction. Long life's way, joy, laughter, and sorrow. Families all face, and then there's tomorrow. Those periods so active, in a time full of rife, can seem in retrospect like another life. For each segment of time, people all share. Teen memories are the ones hard to compare. Learning what love is through family and friends, oblivious to know even this has the end. The wedded ones were a work in progress. Getting it right for the six was like an act of Congress. Calendars full of where all need to be those days, who do the driving, and who needs to stay. To sports, horses, recitals, and plays they employed. Like today's soccer mum, only on steroids. Fun for them, their young lives to fulfill, learning from others, improving their skill. With hands round the table at supper time, giving thanks, not knowing, this life is sublime. Then some off to college for more education, living life's dream of great expectations. Others found work, doing things that they love, all unaware of being led from above. They too would have partners, families their own, knowing it would work out as they had been shown. In that span of time, their folks got older, and for some reason, the winters seemed colder. So what's a body to do but follow the sun to a place where you might even have fun? Some may know those people seen on the road and agree they are blessed if the truth be told. It's great to be in a place where folks care, so I have a time frame that I'd like to share. Certain decades for me have a meaning, and so in my thoughts I have been gleaning. As I consider each one, for me this is true, and as I get older, pray not to be blue, remembering the decades. Our children standing up, the 50s were nifty, retired too early, the 60s were thrifty, Life was too good. The 70s became weighty. Parts wearing out. The 80s I hatey. And should I reach 90, I hope I'm not whiny. In places it said, life is a beach. There is a place for that within our reach. The thing we do best is sharing and giving. And come to know, life is worth living. And now it's Alice Judge. Hi, I'm Alice. I do enjoy writing fiction, and so today I will read to you a short story of uh, fiction titled, He Takes Such Good Care of Me. When Jack and I married, I felt like an Olympic champion. I had won the gold. 
Little did I know that the prize was limited. Like the battery-powered car, my four-year-old son had received for Christmas. Looking back, I should have realized Jack couldn't be interested in a divorced woman with two children. He was so handsome, dreamy blue eyes with long lashes, wavy dark hair. He wore along in the back that curled up. He worked at the gym, and I saw how when Jack took me out for the evening, women stared at him. I couldn't blame them. I stared at him, too, not able to believe my good fortune. I knew Daddy's money would made me desirable. I wasn't much, that much of a fool that I wasn't aware of the obvious. But I accepted that and was very grateful to my first husband, Aaron, that I had my two children, Sarah, five, and Jonathan, four. I knew that Daddy loved them very much, although he wasn't around too much lately. His newest, Laverne, ten years his junior, complained he spent too much time with them. Jack and I honeymooned in St. Croix, a wedding gift from Daddy. Temperatures were in the 80s, a far cry from the January weather of Cambridge, Mass, back home. Our honeymoon has been perfect, I said to Jack one day at the beach. We had just come back from scuba diving in the transparent water, and as I dug my feet in the white sand, I decided I was thirsty. Can you go and get me one of those pina coladas you introduced me to, Jack? Sure, honey, anything you want. He leaned over and kissed me. I turned over on our blanket and poured some suntan lotion on my legs. It's almost time for dinner. I sat up when Jack came back. Thanks, hon. These are so good, I paused. Let me put some lotion on you, Jack. Your shoulders are really getting burned. I stood to do a better job. It was then I saw a familiar face at the outside bar. Oh, look, Jack, there's Inez Miller. Where? It isn't her, babe. I called the office this morning, and Inez gave me my messages. Well, they say everyone has a double. I shrugged and asked my new husband where he wanted to eat that evening. He suggested the dining room at the hotel we were staying. I'd like to try my luck at the casino tonight. Jack had really taken to the casinos. I was pleased he had a new hobby, and he did very well. A novice, I tried my hand at the tables, but was not that interested. The last couple of evenings, not wanting to spoil his fun, I would leave and go up to the room. The next morning, I would quietly get into my bathing suit, grab a towel, and go down to the beach. Jack would join me later, and we would have breakfast at the hotel cafe nearby. We would usually stay at the beach until lunch. It was at lunch. Jack ordered me a pina colada. It was love at first taste. Jack thought I needed to expand my horizons with booze, he said. He bought us a blender so we could make them in our room. We were leaving the next day, so Jack said he wanted to stay later at the tables that evening. Of course, honey, anything you want, but we are leaving early tomorrow. I guess you can sleep on the plane. He kissed me passionately. Later he went. The next day, boarding the plane for home, I cringed with pain. What's wrong, babe? Jack asked. I have another migraine coming on. Jack ushered me to my seat, adjusted the headrest. Lie back and take a nap. You'll feel better when we get home. I'm so lucky, I thought. Jack is so attentive. Once in Boston, we sailed through customs. Northgate Arms, Jack told the cab driver, referring to our penthouse overlooking the Charles River in Cambridge. I did 
did feel better and looked forward to seeing the children. I said, tomorrow, Jack, I want you to come with me to my lawyers. He looked surprised. I want you to act as my power of attorney in my business dealings. But I have a job, babe, working in insurance. Besides, your father won't like that. It's the money grandfather left to me. He made his money during prohibition. Before he died, he told me to use it any way I wished. Besides, I said, cuddling up to my new man, Daddy has had too much control of my life. I want you to handle my finances from now on. He planted a kiss on me that made me want more. Soon my headaches worsened and I took to my bed more often. Thank goodness Jack had suggested boarding school for the children, so I didn't have to take care of them, which I doubted was possible. One day I saw myself in the mirror. I was astonished at how old I looked. My hair appeared lusterless, my eyes beady, the skin under my eyes loose with prominent bags. No wonder Jack and I hadn't been intimate for a while. Then there were the telephone calls. When I answered, there was no one there. When I mentioned it to Jack, he told me he hadn't heard anything. Darling, we haven't made love since our honeymoon, I said one evening. You haven't felt well, babe, I understand, said Jack. But it wasn't right. I don't know how my husband puts up with me. Instead of worrying about himself, he remained calm, giving me medicine to calm my nerves and making pina coladas for me. I slept a lot, but was so afraid I'd lose Jack. I would hear the door close, and I'd wake up to hear him come in the early hours of the day. Did you go out last night, I asked. How could I leave you, babe, when you're not feeling well? That morning, I forced myself to get dressed. Jack was with my lawyers. I called my doctor and made an appointment for that day. Enough of this foolishness, I chided myself. I made new resolve to settle my health issues. When a nurse directed me into my doctor's office, I felt faint but managed to smile. The doctor was not fooled. You look terrible. I don't know what's wrong, I began. I sleep a lot and feel extremely weak. Let's talk after I run some tests, my doctor said. I'll call you later with the results. Stepping out into the air, the sun felt warm despite the cold temperatures. A small layer of snow clung to sidewalks from last weekend. It was a welcome to feel the wind against my cheeks. The feeling made me feel alive for the first time in weeks. I decided to walk home when my stomach reminded me I had a light breakfast. Looking around, I saw a French restaurant I enjoyed. One, the hostess asked. I nodded. It was when I started to follow her I saw them. My considerate husband holding hands with his secretary, Inez Miller. I ducked behind a potted plant and bolted for the door before the hostess found me. My temper ebbed as a tide with each passing hour, and I remembered thinking I saw uh, how I had seen her in St. Croix. I thought of all the coincidences. I thought of how naive I was and how Inez and my husband must be laughing. My anger hit a crescendo once I spoke to my doctor. There's traces of arsenic in your blood. I want you to come down to the office and I'll run more tests. 
There must be some mistake, Doctor. I'll come down tomorrow and we'll discuss this further. I knew there wasn't any mistake. Jack had thought of everything, right down to the insurance policy I signed last week, so I can provide for the children should something happen to you, babe. When Jack looked in on me that evening, he was surprised to see me dressed. Let's go out tonight, Jack. I want to celebrate my feeling better. I've also invited Daddy. Is that a good idea, babe? He hasn't been friendly lately since I took over as your business manager, said Jack. He has been a stinker, hasn't he, I asked, moving closer to Jack, kissing him on the cheek. But Daddy has been bossing me around for years. Let's put him in his place. This is cause for celebration. I'll go down and fix us some drinks. Why don't we wait until we get to the restaurant, I suggested. That way, Daddy can join us. Jack cautioned me not to overtax myself. I smiled sweetly. I suggested the French restaurant that I almost had lunch at earlier. My husband protested at first, saying he didn't feel like French food, but when I insisted, Jack agreed. I called Daddy, and he met us there around 7.30. Immediately, he let into Jack and I. By then, my spouse and I had had several drinks. Jack excused himself, saying he had to go to the men's room. It was then Daddy really let loose, telling me Jack was only interested in my money. He knew about Inez Miller. Turned out Daddy hired someone to follow my husband because he wanted something to hold over him. You're as stupid as your mother, he began. You wouldn't have anything if it wasn't for me. Who do you think introduced you to Jack in the first place? I told him I would make it worth his while in the long run if he made you happy. I don't remember what else Daddy said or what happened next. The waiter came. I asked for another pina colada. Daddy ordered the restaurant's finest wine, which I told the waiter Jack would have as well. Where was Jack? Maybe he's not feeling well. Daddy, why don't you see what's keeping Jack? He said he wasn't feeling well tonight, but wanted to have this out with you tonight. Daddy did as he was told, probably the only time he did what I asked. When the wine came, I poured a glass for Daddy and got a new glass for Jack. I took the vial out of my pocket. It had been freeing to give Jack a dose of his own medicine tonight. I added an extra dose to Jack's drink. Looking at Daddy's glass, I made a decision. No one was looking. I finished off the vial in Daddy's drink and topped it off with the wine. It was so easy. Satisfied, I sat back and waited for the men to return. Turnabout is fair play, after all. He takes such good care of me. Ooh. that. We knew where that was going, but it was great. Oh, I know, right? <laughs> well, I guess it's my turn. This is another chapter from my book, which was a humor book about my career as a pet groomer called Confessions of a Mad Dog Groomer. This one is called Notes and Quotes. A groomer's life is full of surprises. That's one of the things I like most about this job. No two days are alike. This week it was the customer who dumped a jar of spaghetti sauce and two cans of stewed tomatoes on her Samoyed to get rid of the skunk odor. The big dog's crimson splattered appearance on the sidewalk outside my shop stopped traffic and made the postman drop his mailbag and run. 
When we got the unfortunate dog up on the table, a strange and piquant odor wafted out into the front retail area, causing a tweedy, no-nonsense shopper to lift her nostrils skyward and remark to her companion, Isn't that the strangest thing, Eleanor? I could swear I smell cacciatore. Sometimes I don't have to look any further than my appointment book to get a tickle. All of the folks who have worked here over the years have been animal lovers, but not all of them have been good spellers. This can lead to some eagerly anticipated bookings, like the one Trudy jotted down for Susie, a bison frisee, in the shop's early days. Now that's an unusual crossbreed, commented my husband David. I'd guess it's quite large and very shaggy. And then there was Lucy the Appaloosa, the owner's pronunciation, according to Trudy. I'm not bragging when I tell you that Rick, my bather at the time, was the best in the world. The guy was unfazed by mastiffs, Newfoundlands, and Irish wolfhounds. But when he glanced at the book and saw this one, he looked shell-shocked. Do you think we could just hose this one down in the parking lot? You might also have heard this breed referred to as the Lasso Abdul or the Opsolop. So I won't even get into the way Trudy spells Shih Tzu, but I'd be willing to bet she studied hooked on phonics as a child. We groomers don't have a secret handshake, but we did have our own little codes that appeared when we kept track of clients on index cards. Bobo, for example, was a constant barker whose presence in the shop could make you feel you needed to be muzzled and restrained to protect your co-workers. Rather than offend the owner by noting that the dog was an obnoxious noise machine in case she happened to glance down at his card on the counter, we simply marked it with the letter B for Barker, and you can bet we'd have the big guy out of here before lunchtime. Charlie, the caucus temperamental antics, were always overlooked by his doting mistress, who never failed to tell us in a whisper, he was abused. A true Jekyll and Hyde, this cuddly canine turned into a shock in a feeding frenzy at the flick of a clipper switch. The notation on Charlie's card did not advertise the fact that he ruined Marjorie's sculptured nails a few days before her wedding, or brag about his prowess at puncturing the hose before the bather turned the water on. P stands for problem, but it could also stand for psycho or pain in the... You know what I mean. Maybe there should be a grooming contest on problem dogs instead of all those pretty purebreds, suggested one of my starry-eyed novices. I agreed these canine cannibals take a lot of skill to groom, and I know several we could enter in this category. But since Steve Irwin is no longer available, I told her that lining up the judges for such a competition might present a problem of its own. Along with codes for individual clips and suggested shampoos, we may also note the pet's special requirements. However, we had to rephrase, steer carefully to avoid warts, as well as non-neutered leg humper. We improved our spelling as we moved into the computer age with our client bookings and records, but I missed those weird notations that gave me pause as I struggled to decipher their meanings, like the one I read a few years back that took a bizarre ethnic turn. Pierre, it stated, man, male apricot mini poodle, sensitive skin, clipper with care, the groomer had earnestly advised, followed by the notation, never, never shave the Gentiles. As I said, the first thing I learned when I embarked upon this career is that beginning with reading the appointment book, every day is full of surprises. That was fun. That was fun. That had to be the most interesting grooming place. I'm just sorry I never took my dogs there. I am too.
Today I want to talk about the writing process. And I say all this in hopes of encouraging more people to become involved in the writer's group. A lot of people tend to think that they're not creative. Hopefully in the course of this hour you realize, hey, you know, I could do that. And that's where it starts. About five years ago, I was asked to write a foreword for a friend of mine, his book on creativity. Um, so I put together a couple of pages. Uh, he was a mentor of mine, and he taught me about the creative process. So I'm going to cover this one in two parts, this month and next month. What does it mean to be creative? Everyone aspires, yet so many of us don't believe we are. Is there a singular fact, one great truth to embrace about being creative? It is this. Creativity as a discipline can be learned. It's a process. Therefore, the skill and discipline of creativity can also be taught. We start creating by creating conditions that promote creativity. This business of thinking, be it awareness, ingenuity, originality, inventiveness, it's what we do. Harnessing and channeling our thought, devoid of distraction, bringing our quieted, unfettered attention to bear on an endeavor is where creativity begins. When it's time to get going, we are perhaps better served by first getting still. You can't be rushed when the first need is to just let it flow. I was taught this fact. It was my creative mentor's gift to me. As Einstein observed, the most incomprehensible thing about the universe is that it is comprehensible. So too, creativity is quite comprehensible. So how can we be creative sua sponte of one's own will? The act of being creative to create is indeed a willful thing. It is that spark of imagination that fashions the elegant from the ordinary. The spark exists within us all. Some simply harness it more effectively. The Wizard of Oz in 1939 summed it up beautifully addressing Scarecrow's wish for a brain. Back where I come from, we have universities, seats of great learning where men become great thinkers. And when they come out, they think deep thoughts with no more brains than you have. But they have one thing you haven't got, a diploma. Therefore, by virtue of the authority vested in me by the Universitatis Committeatomi Pluribus, I hereby confer upon you the honorary degree of THD, Doctor of Thinkology. That's a great little passage from that movie. <laughs> you begin the study of creativity with hopes of receiving a fancy diploma. You know you have succeeded when you would much rather create your own. I like it. Thank you. So next time we'll hear part two. That's right. Okay. <laughs> and so once again, thank you all for joining us today. Kathy, great job. Thanks for the invite. Thank you. Great job, Kathy. If you have a great story, join us. Tell it. Share it. Write it for all to enjoy. If you would like to join our Senior Center writers, just call the Senior Center at 508-520-4945. For all of our writers, I'm Kathy Salzberg. Bill Wiley. Dennis Brolo. Faith Flaherty. Carol Belcher. Al Larkin. Alice Judge. Joe Ewald. Thank you all for being here on Senior Story Hour and sharing in today's stories. I'm Peter J. Remember, be they laced with gravity, levity, wisdom, or whimsy, the meaningful experiences of life become a little larger when you share them, when you take a moment to commit pen to paper and just write. This is FPR.